Good. Good to be here. It's good to be at Bradley Stoke just a few minutes ago and make the short drive down to be with you. We're looking in these weeks uh, leading up until uh, our Christmas series begins, which is about three weeks away, I think. Believe it or not, Christmas series begins, begins in about three weeks. Can you believe that? How did that happen? We haven't had a frost yet. We were just traveling down and all the leaves are still on the trees. And hopefully we'll get a frost before too long and deal with that. So I don't much like autumn, I have to say. I love the colors, but everything dies, doesn't it? Everything dies in autumn. It's all a bit sad. Give, give me spring anytime. Uh, well, we'll get one of those shortly, hopefully. Is that enough? Good. Hopefully the sound is now correct. We're going to be looking, as we have been these few weeks, at what sort of church is City Church going to be? What kind of things are we aiming for? Uh, what sort of church does God want us to be? And we looked at various aspects of that, and we'll continue to do that over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have John Groves with us uh, in a couple of weeks' time to look at and help us look at a church of the Holy Spirit, which, of course, is part of who we are together. And he's going to preach a much shorter message than he did last time, if you remember that rather epic hour-long print. Now, he's not going to do that again. Uh, we've also uh, couldn't get him as part of this series in terms of the, the dates, getting them right, but we're going to have a guy called Martin Charlesworth, who's going to come to us. He works for the charity or, or for the charity and for the organization called uh, Jubilee Plus, which helps, to, helps churches uh, who want to do more in the community and more particularly working with vulnerable people and those we might describe as, as, as poor amongst the, in, in the cities and towns. He's going to come and talk to us about that in the new year, so we have to wait a bit for that, but that's also part of this series, although it won't physically or kind of chronologically be part of it, but we're going to be doing that as well. Today we're looking at a church for the ends of the earth, that we would be a church that has in our hearts the ends of the earth, the nations uh, and the cultures and peoples from around the world will be part of who we are and we'll be part of them. And we're going to look at that from a biblical perspective. We're going to look at the big, the big story of God's uh, rescue plan and how that this fits into that and how that might affect us. And then look at some practical things that we ought to be thinking about if that's going to be something that we are going to increasingly become. We're going to look at this in two ways. Firstly, that we are called to be a church for the nations. In other words, we exist not just for ourselves. We know that's true. It's not that we exist to make us happy. Did you know that it's not about you? Uh, the gospel is about you, but it's not about you. Very quickly, as we understand the gospel and respond to Jesus, say, yes, I want to follow you. I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus, for my salvation. I'm trusting you. Very quickly, God gets us on mission. He says, now go and tell other people. Rece tell other people and encourage them to receive what you have received. And God does that very quickly and consistently throughout the Bible uh, at the point of conversion and at the point of being filled with the Holy Spirit, all sorts of moments there. But also we want to be a church, not just a church uh, for the nations, but a church of the nations. Uh, so we want to be a church that's filled with a, with a diverse community that reflects the heart of God right throughout creation. And we're going to see how that is something that God has put into uh, the DNA of, of the gospel, but also into his people. But it wasn't always that way. It's been, there's been various challenges, and they, continue to, they continually will be for us. Challenges to that mindset, to be a church both of and for the nations. It was a challenge for the early Jewish community, because they were a, a community that was gathered into a specific place. 
into Israel, into the promised land. Remember we looked a year or so ago at Moses bringing this nation out of Egypt and through a desert and they were headed towards something that had been promised, which was a land, a physical place on the planet. And they made it eventually to that place and they rejoiced in it and enjoyed it. And even more maybe than the place itself, in time came the city of Jerusalem and even more than the city became the temple. Because in the temple was something very special. In the temple was the presence of God. In a place called the Holy of Holies, in the center of the temple, behind a thick curtain was the presence of God. That's where it was physically on the planet at the time. That's how it worked. And so your whole life, your whole mindset, everything about who you were and what you believed had a focus, and it was there. At the heart of the temple, in the heart of Israel, in Jerusalem, right there. Now, that curtain that separated the people from the presence of God was something to behold. And we don't have a biblical uh, description, but there are many extra-biblical historical narratives that talk about this. And one of them, or a number of them, say this, that it was about the thickness of a man's hand separating God from the people. An immense curtain of incredible thickness, something that would have taken an incredible amount of energy and effort and skill to put together. And so behind that curtain there was God, separated from the people. But everything was going to change. And it all changed, of course, when Jesus died. And we know that from the story, don't we? That when Jesus died, that curtain, this incredible thick curtain that separated God from the people, that kept God, as it were, in one physical place, was torn in two. It was completely Uh, torn from top to bottom, torn apart. And suddenly, the presence of God and the people of God were together. Why? Because God had spanned the gap between God and the people. Something dramatic had happened. Something had changed. (laughs) God had come by his spirit to the people. And now, why is that important? Well, it's important because the physical presence of of God is no longer in one place. It's not focused in a city. It's not focused in one nation. Now God has come to his people. And we see that when, God, when Jesus speaks to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, he's promising the Holy Spirit. He's saying that presence which was separate is now going to come to all of you. Do you remember the promise in Joel that said, I'll pour out my, my spirit on all flesh. That couldn't happen all the while that God is separated behind a curtain. All the time that God is separated because of sin and Jesus has not yet died. Sin has not yet been paid for. But once it's happened, that separation is dealt with. Let's read in Acts chapter 1, a very familiar passage, a few verses starting at verse 6. They gathered around him, that's Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? A famous theologian said of that sentence, There are as many words as errors in that sentence. They didn't understand yet, and they still took some time to understand what it was that Jesus was doing. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was a radical thought. For those early disciples because their whole world was focused in one place, in one nation, in one culture. And God's saying, no, it's not to be that way anymore. It's going to change. 
Now, if you'd have, uh, you, I could paraphrase that by saying this. Jesus says, take what you know of me, take what you've learned about me, and tell everyone in Jerusalem. And they'll be like, yes, happy to do that. Let's tell everyone in Jerusalem. And Judea, yep, still good. And Samaria, hang on. Samaria, no, we know about the Samaritans, don't we? We know from the story of the Good Samaritan that these were not liked people. No, we don't. Hang on, that's a different faith, isn't it? And then to the ends of the earth. Now, for a nation that's focused in one city and in one building, to be told, take this to the ends of the earth was pretty uncomfortable. It was a radical thought. It was a change of mindset, and it would only happen because Christ had died, sins had been forgiven, and the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. Now the presence of God, not separate, not in one place, not behind the curtain, no, but filling all those who would believe. A promise for everyone who's far off. It's for you and for me that we would carry the very presence of God with us wherever we went. And now, suddenly, it can be for all people and all nations. We know that was always the intention, um, because way back in Genesis 26, we read this, as God is making promises to Abraham in verse 4 of Genesis 26, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There was always an intention that this news, that the goodness of God would be poured out to the nations, but we had to have Christ's death first. Let's look at two stories, two biblical narratives that will help us to understand something more about why this is important. It's part of uh, the, the overall picture of what God has done. They're, they're from very different parts of the Bible. And you'll have to just come with me on this one. Okay, so we're going back into Genesis to a story that's quite short, but probably we all, understand, we all know something about it. And that is the story of Babel, or as the Americans would have it, Babel, which is probably a better description. Now, who knows, just who knows about that story from yeah, one or two? D? Yeah, you, you know it, don't you? So in this story, what you have is, uh, these are early people groups. Not, the people have not gone far, really, in terms of uh, reproducing and filling the earth. Remember, that was the instruction. Go and reproduce and fill the earth. And they were supposed to take something of Eden, that was the idea, and bring it to the ends of the earth. But Genesis 11, we haven't got far. We know that they fell early with Adam and Eve, but that continued throughout Genesis in many different ways. And here in Genesis 11, we see another aspect of their fall, another aspect of something of sin and being in the world. So rather than doing that, this is what they said in verse 3 of Genesis 11. Come, they said, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. So the people decide, let's not go do the thing that God said. Let's do our own thing instead. Let's build ourselves a city to our own glory. Let's make a name for ourselves and let's not scatter. Let's just do this one thing. And they all spoke the same language and they were, they were doing quite well by all accounts. They were, they were building this incredible tower that was going to reach up to the skies or to heaven in their minds. So they weren't going to fill the earth. They were going to do something for themselves. And instead of something glorifying to God, they were being proud and self-promoting and arrogant and disobedient. And God looks into the midst of that and says this in verse 5 of Genesis 11. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they're, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they won't understand each other. So in order to rescue them from this self-promoting arrogance, God has to come and confuse them. And they go off separately with their separate language. And that's, that's what the Bible says. That's how we got all these different languages. That's both metaphorical and we believe accurate in terms of what actually happened. But what we find is a separation. And so God having to uh, deal with them and deal with their sin brought separation. Something of a curse. Something of a bit like the curse that came at the fall. They were separated when they should have been united. And they were scattered when they should have been together. They were scattered not in the way that had been intended, but because of their multiple language. It was still a point, actually, where God, there was a rescue, because God rescued them from their sin in the midst of it, but it did come at the cost of them being separate. Now let's look at a familiar passage from the New Testament, something you'd be very familiar with from Acts chapter 2. Because here we see languages again, and cultures again, and we'll see something different in this moment. And it's Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? So you see, back in Genesis, a curse comes and people are separated. And languages cause uh, separation and cause uh, derision. And here, when the Holy Spirit comes, you see the opposite thing happening. The Holy Spirit comes and you see language brings unity together. And it's a language of the Spirit that brings the unity. The immediate thing, the very first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes is what? Is unity. Fifteen, at least, fifteen different nationalities and people groups and cultures are united immediately. Immediately. And what do they hear? They hear worship in their own language. It's almost the opposite of what happened at Babel. You see, something of the curse of God comes against the pride and self-promotion of humanity. And here, and yet, and yet here in, in Pentecost, we see worship, we see God honoring, we see a focus on Jesus. And what do we find? Unity comes. These are almost the reverse of something that happened at Babel. You see, that's part of the story of what God is doing and has done. Incredible what God will do. Those 15 different nations, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, and the list goes on and on and on, all of them united. Why? Because they hear the wonders of God in their own language, because the Holy Spirit came. Listen, one of the sure signs of a truly charismatic community is what? It's unity in the midst of diversity. You see it there on page one when the Holy Spirit comes. The first thing you see is unity and diversity. Was it uncomfortable? You bet it was uncomfortable. This this nation had been totally focused on themselves and focused on one city and one building. 
and suddenly everyone from everywhere is included. Wow, that's, whoa, that's a lot to take in. And actually, it took them about eight chapters of Acts before it actually, they actually got underway with this mission of God. So God says, go to these go ever-increasing circles out to the ends of the earth. And they didn't really do it until persecution broke out, but they did do it. We have the same commission from God. The same thing. And we have the same challenges. It's so easy for us to be very focused on ourselves. You look at our friendship groups. There are people that are very much like us, who think the same as us, dress like us, look like us, experience life like us. That's what it would have been in that upper room before the Holy Spirit came. Those few days when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Just the same group of people. They'd been together for a long time. But immediately the Spirit comes. They tumble down out of this upper room and they start speaking and worshipping because the Holy Spirit filled them. And suddenly what do you see? Unity. People being drawn in from everywhere. Cultures and languages and tribes and colours. Incredible and incredibly challenging. Now, the Bible is so helpful because we can look to the end of the story and we can see where, where are we going? How does this all end? Well, we, something, we see something of this, something of the culmination of all of this if we look into Revelation and chapter 7. So John is receiving this vision, a revelation of what is going to come. Uh, of course, it's apocalyptic literature, so we need to understand that. It's a particular way of writing and seeing things. Uh, but this is what he saw in Revelation 7. After this I looked, and there before him was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. As John looks into the future, he looks into the destiny of all of us, and he sees the final number. Just before this, it says after this, well before this, what you see is John seeing something of all Israel being drawn together under Christ. And then once that is done, he sees this, a crowd that is innumerable, can't be counted. And where are they from? Everywhere. Every nation, every language, every tribe, every tongue. That's the final complete number. Because he's looking at the end. Everyone is there who should be there. Everyone for whom Christ died is now gathered together before the throne, worshipping him, an incredible picture of the fulfillment of what Christ has done. Every nation, every tribe, they're worshipping God before the throne. The whole number is gathered in. And there we see the fulfillment of this vision, a church of the nations a church for the nations. There they all are. Why? Because they all need Christ. And he died for all of them and wants them all in. But listen carefully to this. Until this vision is fulfilled, our mission is not. Until that, until that day, our mission is not over. Every nation, tribe, and tongue is to be gathered in. Every one of them. But look, what are they doing? They're worshipping. This is the worship time to beat all worship times before the throne. Can you imagine all the languages together, all the colours, all the, all the cultures coming together in an incredible symphony of worship before the throne of God? It must, it's going to be absolutely mind-blowingly wonderful. I'm sure the acoustics will be just phenomenal. But they, the reason that it's there is because everyone is gathered in. In fact, it's not complete until it's done. 
And in fact, it's not just that, that we could think, well, we, maybe we should be more accommodating of people who are not really like us. That's the wrong way of thinking. Your worship cannot be complete until it's joined by the worship of people not like you. It cannot be complete because we see that there in Revelation. That's where it goes. The only way for our worship ultimately to be complete is to be joined by all these nations, all these languages, all these tribes, all these tongues together. That's the only way it can ever be and will be complete one day. And so for us to seek to reflect something of that incredible diversity, united in Christ, yet diverse in nature, is to become more like that end vision that John saw. You can't, keep, you can't be complete. We can't be complete until we gather in more people not like us. It's really important we get that. Really important we understand that. Your worship, however good, the band, however great, and they are great, they're wonderful. We, we praise God for our worship leaders. But it's not done yet. It's not done yet. Imagine an incredible symphony orchestra that you would go and, and visit somewhere, and a whole section is just missing. You'd miss it. There'd be bits of the, just, just there's bits missing. Suddenly it would go quiet when there was supposed to be a crescendo or something, or the drum section is missing, or the, or, you know, the, the trumpets have gone for some reason. They all have to be there for it to be complete, and that's what it's like. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue together to complete our worship to God. That's where we've got to go for. We need to embrace that with all our hearts. Why? Because it's right there in the, at the end. It's where God is leading us to what God is wanting. For those disciples, it was uncomfortable. They were used to making their way to the temple as often as they could because that's where God was. One place on the planet. And suddenly the curtain's torn in two. And he says, go, take, take the presence of God. Take it to the nations and embrace the nations as you do it. What can we do then? What can we actually do in terms of moving towards something of this as a church, if that's our aim? Well, the spirit within us causes us to reach out to others who are not like us. As, a, as you are filled with the spirit, that's what, that's what happened on Pentecost. Immediately they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They are speaking to people not like them. People they wouldn't have understood. People they wouldn't uh, have normally mixed with. So one thing we can do, if you find this hard, what's one answer? One, one massive answer is this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same thing that happened to those disciples is likely to happen in you. That suddenly you will find yourself being drawn towards people who are not like you. Another thing we can do is to be willing to rejoice and celebrate with other expressions of worship. There are other ways to worship other than ours. And won't it be great when there's more of us from more diverse communities to worship in a di different style sometimes? Again, reflecting that end time picture, that final day picture before the throne of God with every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. Yes, wow, you're thinking, how would that work? How could that possibly? Well, it's in the Bible. It's something for us to aim for. And it would be, the journey will be incredibly fun enjoyable to get to something that looks a bit more like that. Be ready to go with the gospel to people who are not like you. Uh, in a room like this, it would be stunning if it weren't that many of you weren't called to do that, to be a people called and ready to go to 
nations that are not like you, people whose skin color is different from yours, whose language is different, whose culture is different. It'd be very surprising if in a room with this many people in, that that weren't true. For some of you, maybe God even speaks to you right now, says, that's, yes, you know I've been telling you this. You know this is where my spirit's been calling you. And for some, nations sometimes drop into your head. Sometimes God's led you through a path of realization that's what he's calling you to. You don't have to be afraid of it, but don't hold it to yourself. Talk to trusted friends and leaders and help them to help you work out what that means. But just as those disciples heard, really? Ends of the earth? I thought it was all about Jerusalem. Oh, the ends of the earth. And God is calling some of you. Of course, the ends of the earth depends on where you start. So Bristol is the ends of the earth for some people, uh, but we understand the picture that we are called to go with the gospel. Another way to respond would be this, uh, that we would offer friendship to people of other cultural backgrounds. It's so easy, isn't it? Particularly if you're new to the city, is you want to find people like you because that's how you feel comfortable. Good, I, you know, I'm reassured that there are other people like me here. Well, actually, we see this biblical compulsion to go to people not like you. And just to be willing to reach out beyond what seems to come naturally. doesn't matter if you think it will be hard. We've said many times from this, uh, from this platform that God asks us to do difficult things, and he knows they're difficult, and he still asks us to do them. He still asks us to do them, and he's saying, let's try that. Why don't you think about that? Think about your friendship groups and your, maybe you're at college or maybe at university or in the playground or wherever you find yourself at work is to reach out beyond what seems comfortable and normal because that's what Jesus did for you. Be willing to do things differently. Be willing to do things differently because God is a God of diversity. He loves it. He absolutely loves diversity. Have you seen the new blue planet thing? I mean, doesn't it make you want to worship why? Because the incredible diversity of creation. Absolutely incredible what God has done. And the pinnacle of all of it is what? It's you. It's people. And the diversity of people is staggering and stunning. And Jesus loves them and wants us to embrace and love them too. You see, Jesus came to rescue you, not because you were naturally attractive or impressive, but in mercy. It took mercy. He mercifully reached out to you and to me. Ephesians 2 tells us you were dead. You were dead in your sins. Jesus came for corpses, not attractive people. He reached out in love to you. In Ephesians 2, 5, we read this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace you've been saved. And God extends his grace, even right now. He's extending grace. He's saying, yes, I know you don't deserve it. And you might think, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I don't, I, you know, these Christians, they seem happy. I don't deserve to be part of that. Absolutely right. But because of his great love for you, he calls you anyway. And exactly what he did for me and for everyone in the room who owns the name of Jesus. He called out to people who didn't deserve it. And he drew them in because he loved them. Jesus said this, follow me. He did it. He's asking us to do it. We should be a church of the nations for the nations, recognizing that that incredible diversity is to be represented amongst us in our worship and praise and our outreach and in our hearts 
as well. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you that you reached out to us. We know we, weren't, we, we know we weren't like you. You were holy, we were dead in sin. You were pure, we weren't at all. But because of your great love, you made us something we weren't before. You made us sons and daughters, children of God. You made us heirs, that we would inherit all that Christ inherits. Lord, you've lifted our heads. You've given us worth and purpose when we had none of our own. Lord, you did it because of your mercy and in mercy and because of your great love. And Father, we thank you so much for doing that. Lord, we want to spend our whole lives responding in gratitude for that truth. And we pray, Father, that we would follow you in that too. We want to reach out to others, not like us. We want to reach out to others, Lord. Sure, don't deserve it, but none of us did either. Lord Jesus, that you would give us something of that heart that you have for the nations. That heart for that diverse community gathered before your throne, worshipping you. Languages, tribes, tongues, colours, cultures, all coming together in a glorious symphony of worship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Demonstrating that only God can do this incredible uniting act, bringing us together under Christ. Help us, Lord. Amen. Now we're going we're gonna to sing together, but one of our responses can be this. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. We need his Holy Spirit's help to do this. And I think our response this morning can be this, that as we're worshiping, we've got, a, we've got about five minutes left, if we can come to the, if you want, you say, yeah, I, I get that, but I don't, you know, it's hard. Finding it hard, or if actually you just need more of God, in any way, then come and we'd love to pray with you. Come stand here and we'll get people to come and pray for you and ask for God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. People will be available to do that. Let's sing.